Good morning. I'm glad to be here with you today. I was baptized as an infant in Good Hope, at Good Hope Church. My beloved parents were active leaders in the church. I think there's a few of you who still remember my parents. They've been gone a long time. So Sunday school was a very important part of my childhood. And I remember one Sunday, they gave us a gift, which I actually still have. It is a plastic disc about eight inches in diameter. It is cut out. I don't know if that makes sense, but you can see through it. And in the middle, a cross is suspended. Words around the edge say, by grace are you saved through faith. Now, I got, I mean, in my childhood days, I suppose I understood that saved was heaven, and the rest of it I really wasn't sure about, and I'm sure I didn't understand how important it was to Martin Luther and the Reformation. However, I knew it was really, really important because it glowed in the dark, and I loved it, and I spent a lot of time in closets all summer looking at it. This year, we celebrate, of course, the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. We date it traditionally, out of many choices we could use, from the day on which Martin Luther nailed 95 theses. Now, I remember wondering about that, and it was really stupid because my teaching fields are English and French. And I'm thinking, theses, theses, what the heck is that, you know? And huh, it is the singular of thesis, or the plural, rather, of thesis. So, 95 statements he nailed on the door of the castle church at the University of Wittenberg in Germany. Here they are. Well, not the real ones, you know, but 95 theses. So, written in Latin, and you might say, oh, so he was a vandal or something? No. The door of the church was the place for notices. It was like a bulletin board for the community. And probably he picked All Saints' Eve, October 31st, 1517, because he knew everybody would be in church the next day, All Saints' Day. It was in Latin, and of course, everybody couldn't read it. But he was after the monks, the people of the church who knew Latin. It was his, it was his statement against indulgences. I, I always thought it involved everything about the church he wanted to change, but no, it was just the practice of indulgences at that point. More about that in a minute. So at any rate, it was a challenge. He wanted debates, and this is what he wanted debate to debate, 95 statements. The debate never happened, but the challenge changed his life, changed our lives, and uh, basically changed the entire world. Luther was not the first to have issues. Is it ringing in a strange way? Am I okay with this? Is this does it sound? It sounds to me like it's... I'm okay? Thank you. Thank you, Donna. Anyhow, um, he was not the first, certainly, to rebel against the church. It had been going on for at least a hundred years and probably more. Just a couple mentions very quickly. John Wycliffe was an English rebel against the church. What he did was unthinkable for the church as it existed then. All of his followers and he, he they translated the Bible into English. 
Now, it was the Latin of St. Jerome, and it wasn't a very good translation, but it was in English. The church at the time, and it was the Roman Catholic Church. Catholic there meaning universal. You know, there were Eastern Christian churches, but they weren't involved. Roman Catholic Church was a universal. In other words, the only game in town, if you were Christian. So at any rate, they had a monopoly on the Bible. Most people couldn't read Latin. Most people were illiterate, in fact, but they definitely couldn't read Latin unless they were in the church. So anyhow, this was a sin. Wycliffe, and if you can imagine this, before the printing press, they're writing out these Bible translations by hand. They made hundreds and hundreds of them, and hundreds and hundreds of them were burnt by the church, along with the translators and the you know, followers of Wycliffe. Wycliffe, fortunately, by the way, died before his scheduled execution. So he was kind of lucky there, I think. He died of natural causes. A second one I'm going to mention, Geoffrey Chaucer, not a church person, but father of British literature. The Canterbury Tales is a satire against the church. The worst character in it is the pardoner who sold indulgences. He died, by the way, I was going to say Wycliffe died some hundred years before uh, Chaucer was born. Chaucer, 83 years before Luther was born. A third one, John Hus, was the one who was closest to Luther in his beliefs. He was Czechoslovakian. He thought the people should understand the church service. He preached sermons in Czech. He encouraged, he apparently was not gifted in language, but he encouraged translation of the Bible. He was burned at the stake. And um, I just want to mention something about him. I think most remarkable sense of humor in recorded history. His last name, Hus, in Czech, means goose. Now, just imagine going to grade school with a last name like that. You know, that would be tough. But anyhow, on his way, <laughs> on his way to the stake, he was recorded as saying, you can burn this goose, but within a century, a swan will arise who will prevail. And 68 years later, Martin Luther was born. Luther later said, I am a Hussite. That's what Hus's followers called themselves. I'm just glad, you know, Luther didn't want our church named after him. He was kind of a modest guy. Uh, but I'm just glad they didn't go with Hussite, you know, Good Hope Hussite churches. Doesn't have the ring. Anyhow, we come to Martin Luther. Luther spent six years in law school. He earned the equivalent, he was brilliant, he earned the equivalent of what we would say a bachelor and a master's degree. Father wanted him to be a lawyer. But one night, and I think most of you probably know this story, he's going home, I think, big storm comes up, lightning, thunder, he falls to the ground, he's terrified, and he prays to St. Anne, if you, if you get me through this, I'll become a monk. And he did. Now, as a monk, if possible, I think he was too pious, or maybe just too neurotic, I don't know what to say, he was just obsessed that he could never confess all his sins. And, you know, if he did, then he thought, but what about ones I'll commit tomorrow? And this horrified him because he thought he wouldn't get to heaven. He was horrified by the idea, who could ever be good enough for God's salvation? And his father confessor, a man named Johann Stoppet, 
um, once sat through six hours. His confession took six hours. So I think he probably said, stop it, stop it. I mean, stop it, said stop it. I, I'm sorry, I tried for a pun, it wasn't very good, but anyhow. The man's name really was Stop It. I mean, I checked the pronunciation in German and everything. Anyhow, he was worried about Martin Luther. I mean, this was excessive. And, so, and, and his sins were kind of boring, by the way. I mean, he was, uh, you know, he said, can't you do something more interesting? You know, blasphemy at least, or something? But anyhow, Martin, you belong at the university. He was brilliant, he was, had a passion for scriptural study, so Luther, after only two years, given all his other education, became Dr. Martin Luther, professor at the university. Now, we don't know exactly when his great revelation came to him, but he thinks, he said later, that it was when he was studying the Book of Romans. In fact, what John read today. I asked, I'm sorry for the children's sermon, because they were expecting the gospel, I think, but I asked if that could be read. Romans was Luther's favorite book of the Bible. And so, and he was compulsive about that too, and studying it again and again and again, it finally hit him and gave him such comfort and reassurance. Now, I'm going to read one, because this occurs again and again throughout the epistles. It was kind of like St. Paul's theme song. This is from Ephesians. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. These, made, these words made so much sense to him. No one, I mean he was right, no one can really be, achieve the perfection of God. The perfection, we're just not worthy of it, we can't do it, we're human. But we don't have to. Jesus' sacrifice, the grace of God, we have it. It's ours. Now, that doesn't mean that you can go around sinning and saying, oh, well, you know. No. But it doesn't mean you shouldn't do good works. This is what Luther said about good works. We don't do good works to be saved. We do good works because we are saved. And... God doesn't need your good works, your neighbors do. So he wasn't you know, saying that was a bad thing in itself, but just that it's not the way to heaven. The way to heaven is faith and God's grace. So back to uh, the indulgences and the, you remember them, 95 theses. I was going to read them to you, but I decided against it. Anyhow, <laughs> anyhow, to know what indulgences were, you have to know what purgatory is. And, um, you know, I had a vague idea of it growing up because most of my relatives and friends were Catholic. But I kind of thought of it at like a bus station that you kind of waited around, you know, and then finally it was your turn to go to heaven or something. And that wasn't right, actually. Um, the belief was, if you died, if you still had sins you had not confessed and you had not done penance for, uh, you know, but you weren't really bad enough to go to hell. You were good enough, sort of, almost, but not complete, for heaven. So it was thought of as a nice thing, you know, nice, something nice, comforting. Now, kind of interesting and rather strange and hard, hard to understand, they obviously were bright enough to know that eternity had no clocks or calendars. 
You know, I mean, it wouldn't make sense. But yet they would give you specific options where you could earn so much time off or out of purgatory and up to heaven, all right? If this was something that I thought was interesting because it shows, uh, you know, the power of the Pope at the time, or what he thought he had. When the Pope wanted a crusade, all right, he would sometimes, to recruit uh, soldiers, he would offer them a plenary indulgence. Plenary, all time, no questions asked. You go to heaven, straight to heaven. I mean, if you make it <laughs> through the crusades, highly unlikely, but you go straight to heaven. Um, in other words, the Pope was saying who and when you go to heaven. Hmm, okay. Anyhow, um, the indulgences, because, you know, crusades were expensive, and finishing the third tower, which Leo X, the Pope, wanted to do, of the Vatican, was very expensive. So they came up with the best fundraiser ever. I mean, just beats anything out of Girl Scout cookies, believe me. It was selling indulgences. And they, you know, uh, were handwritten at first, later printed on the printing press, stamped with the metal seal of the Pope, and it would buy you time out of purgatory. And to make it even better or more uh, desirable, you could buy them for your dead relatives. The, uh, uh, John Johann Tetzel was the worst of these people selling indulgences. He was the commissioner of selling, and he would preach on a Sunday, I see your mother in heaven, she's crying, she's writhing in hellfire. Now, I didn't know that, I thought it was just a kind of a neutral place, but apparently they thought it was a pretty dangerous and painful place to be too. And you could be there for thousands of years if they knew what a year was in eternity. But anyhow, so buy indulgences, save her soul this suffering. It was brutal, and it was a big seller. Now, what happened with Luther, he also has a parish church. And so he's hearing confessions from his uh, parishioners, and they're saying, oh, well, you know, I bought indulgences, I don't have to worry about that. And he got really upset, hence the 95. So that's that. Now, I want to read another from Corinthians. You can't buy your way into heaven. I mean, you know, that's what they were saying, right? That you could kind of buy your way into heaven, at least out of purgatory. Maybe not out of hell, but out of, well, you get it. God's grace is such that waiting in torment is not necessary. It's free. It's unconditional. Yes, we should be contrite for our sins. Yes, we should try to do better and do good deeds. But faith and belief, that's the way. Here's Corinthians. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, well, there were never any debates, as Luther had hoped, but Luther was repeatedly called before individual counselors, and the big ones, which were called the diets. Now, you know, the big one of all time, the trial, in English looks like the diet of worms. And I remember being rather appalled by that as a child, or kind of nauseated. But anyhow, it, uh, diet von Worms. okay? Varm, no S on the end. So anyhow, um, 
he was eventually excommunicated. Actually, he asked to be relieved of his duties. But some of the charges against him, I love this, for saying that the Pope was not above Jesus Christ, for saying that the Pope was not the only one who could interpret scriptures, or read them even, well, of course the others could, that were church people, to saying that the Pope can make mistakes. The Pope was infallible. When he began referring to the Pope as the Antichrist, I think that was actually the end, if there ever had been a relationship between them. Big thing was, everyone needs to be able to read the Bible for themselves. So that had ramifications, translations, access, etc. All right, so earlier efforts had failed. Why did Luther succeed? Luther and many others, of course. How did it go viral? That is the title, if you noticed. No Facebook, no 24-hour news, no tweeting. The only tweeting was a tweeting of the birds. Why and how did Luther's beliefs become so widely known? We know these people kept journals, they wrote letters, they saved letters. We have all this evidence of what was going on. And so we know, statement was made, within two weeks after those 95 statements were on the door, all of Germany knew about it. That's incredible. Within a month, all of Europe knew. How do we know that? Because we have letters and documents dated from various areas which are talking and asking questions about it. And it grew and grew. Now, those precursors helped, you know? I mean, they didn't seem to achieve what they wanted and they often were killed very painfully for their trouble. But it had planted that seed that we can rebel against authority, even those that say that their authority comes from God, especially if they live really rotten lives. Forgot to mention, as a monk, once, 1510, Luther and another monk had to walk from Wittenberg to Rome on monastery business. I thought, you know, so the, the monastery sent them. No, no they, they had to walk there, you know. It took a thousand miles. Thirty days it took them. And, you know, Luther was like, oh, and then he saw what was there. And the wealth and the greed and the wickedness, the corruption, it was horrifying to him, and even more horrifying was that the you know, priests and the monks there made jokes and mocked the host, the elements of communion. It was just not what he expected, and that made a permanent impression on him. So, that bad behavior had been going on for centuries. And it was one of those things everyone knew. And finally, everyone started to know that everyone knew. That's from a sociologist. And then everyone knew that everyone knew that everyone knew. And that set up the Reformation and the followers. That, by the way, was worded... Well, I'll think of his name. Clay Shirky was a sociologist who came up with that three-level thing. I thought it was very interesting. Anyhow, the printing press. Johannes... Gutenberg had invented the printing press. First thing he printed was a Bible. 1454, 1455, it was Latin, and um, that was 30 years, by the way, before Luther was born. Now, before that, churches owned Bibles, maybe one, chained, 
because they were so afraid of someone stealing it. And as I said, the church had a monopoly. So it began to be possible. It didn't happen overnight. For one thing, population, a lot of them couldn't read anyhow, and they were in Latin or you know, Greek, the original languages. And anyhow, uh, but it, it started to be possible. Now, the printing press was also good for printing pamphlets. In fact, it was very good. And the 95 were printed immediately. In a very short time, 300,000 copies were out there. Now, for us, that might not sound like much, but, you know, it was a lot. It's, this is the you know, early 16th century, after all. So anyhow, Luther, very intelligent. I mean, that hadn't been his purpose, and he didn't even realize it, but he picked up on this. So throughout the next years, he wrote about 12 pamphlets. Others were writing pamphlets. They were sold. The printers, by the way, made money, not the writers on this. But anyhow, it, it got it out there, and it became a very interesting phenomenon because there were favorites, and the favorites were the ones by Luther, and people bought them, and so printers printed them. And by the time this was at its height, which would be about 1524, an estimated 7 million pamphlets were out there, 2.5 million Luthers. Now, those weren't different pamphlets, you understand, but multiple copies. And it was like the thing to have, you know, sort of like the thumbs up for... It was social media, because people talked about them. On the pamphlet, there was a, you know, it's your responsibility to read this to anyone you know who can't read. And people who were illiterate bought them, because it was, what do they call it in social media? A badge of membership. This is a sociological term, like, you know, it showed, I'm cool, I know, you know, I belong. So, anyhow, that was one thing. It was medieval social networking. Three other things. The news ballad, ballad, that is, songs. And what they did was take a popular melody, and they'd make up words for it, new words. We know of one that Luther wrote. Two of his two monks, who were his followers, had been burned at the stake in Brussels. And of course, he was devastated when he heard this news. So he wrote one about them. And people would sing them. You know, we remember things that are put to music. We sing them. It became very popular. There are many of these, social media, again. Another one was woodcuts. Now, you know, a woodcut is like a primitive kind of printing pictures. And it's still done today, but mostly like in the art world. And so, you know, you get a wooden block, and it, a lot of talent involved. You carve it, and you're carving reverse. And then you ink it, and there it is. And again, you can do a lot of them quickly. If you look online, if you, you, know, if you Google any of this stuff, there are tons of things, so much information out there. And uh, some of those editorial cartoons, if you would, are really nasty, really nasty, <laughs> all right? But, you know, there's one called Where Monks Come From, meaning the monks that had stayed faithful to the you know, Catholic Church. Nasty. Anyhow, word of mouth. The best social media ever, you know, but of course not with the little machine and the internet and that kind of thing. Uh, sermons. A minister, Luther, was a wonderful preacher, and, and uh, others that were friends and in his cause, many of them, of course, were preachers too. And so they talked about it, and people heard about it, and people talked about it. And what really happened, thank goodness, is that 
Um, Luther did not get executed. He, he thought for most of this time period that any moment he was going to get taken away and executed. But it didn't happen after a while because he was too popular and had too many followers. So what happened, uh, first of all, and going back to the Diet von Worms, all right, the, the trial, um, they said, are these your books? He said, yep. He said, do you denounce them? He said, let me think about it. So they gave him overnight. He came back the next day and he said, those are my books and I don't, I admit they are my books. And they gave him another chance, but he said, nope. And, uh, and that was it, you know. And he said, of course, we think he said those famous words, here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Now, the church realized that burning him at the stake was not the thing to do right then. So what they did, very passive-aggressive. They declared him an outlaw, which meant anyone could kill him and not suffer any penalties. In fact, they'd probably get a reward from the church. So Luther went back to Wittenberg, uh, I'm sure, you know, looking over his shoulder and uh, being pretty scared. But it happened, he also had political help. The wisely named, or aptly named, Prince Frederick the Wise. Devout Roman Catholic, but he really liked Luther. And it was kind of like German nationalism kicking in, you know, because this was his fellow from his principality. So he protected him. And he was an elector, which meant one of seven people that choose the emperor. So this guy had power. So that helped a lot. He and his men in disguise as kid kidnapped Luther. Luther apparently knew about this all along, unlike the recent movie. Uh, he, he knew, you know, he had to pretend to be terrified. He stayed in Frederick's castle, Wartburg, for 10 months. During that 10 months, he wrote about 9,000 letters, probably 15 pamphlets, and translated the New Testament into German from Greek in 11 weeks. This man was a worker, all right, and brilliant. Finally, against everybody's advice, he said, I've got to get back to Wittenberg. That's my work. I can't let other people be taking responsibility, taking the risks, etc. But by the time he got back again, I mean, the church still had that label on him, outlaw, but no one was going to touch him. And that's, you know, very fortunate. That's what saved him. So, and the media blitz is what... Isn't that amazing? That just Because I always think it takes... Then, how did the word get around? But it did. Well, in conclusion... Yep. In conclusion, I wanted to list some gifts to humanity of Luther and the Reformation. Um, at the millennium, there were lists published of the most important people of the first millennium, you know, 1000 to 1999. And on most of those lists, Luther was number three. And that wasn't generally because of his religious stuff, although partly it was. He brought in, he was part of the force that brought in what we now consider the modern world. But anyhow, gifts to humanity from Luther and the Reformation. First of all, the Lutheran church worldwide. And then Protestant churches, the whole Protestant church movement accountability of the clergy. They weren't above the law. I mean, in these days, you know, a priest commits a sin, he didn't have to go to civil court. He went to the ecclesiastic court, and they said, oh, that's a shame, fella. I'm, you know, don't do it again, you know. 
Um, so that's gone. Sunday school movement. I love this one. This through the 18th century, you know, into the 19th century, even in England, I know, a lot of kids didn't get to go to school because they were poor and they were in the coal mines when they were five years old. And so Sunday schools, their primary objective basically was to teach them to read so they could read the Bible. So very important. Bibles in the vernacular, in the language of the people. Individuality, freedom of thought. The beginnings of these things. Freedom of expression. The sanctity of each believer's relationship with God. You don't confess to a priest, to another human being, unless you want to talk your problems over with him, willingly, etc. A return to and renewal of the church as it had been a thousand years before. Scripture-based. That was Luther's all the time. If you can show me, and he said that at Worms. He said, if you can show me in the Bible anywhere that this is wrong, what I've written, I'll recant. But they couldn't. And by the way, purgatory and the indulgences, not in the scriptures, not anywhere. You don't pay to get to heaven. So finally, salvation as a gift won by Jesus, freely given through God's grace to all who through faith and the power of the Holy Spirit accept it and believe. And I guess I added another finally, and that was hope for eternity. By grace, we are saved through faith. This is most certainly true. And these words really do glow in the darkness. Thank you.